Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 26 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I'm your host, the 27 guy, Adam Gray. Thank you again for downloading the podcast today. I, as always, really appreciate it. And uh, just want to say thank you for the last couple of uh, last couple of weeks. The um, like people have actually been rating the podcast on iTunes and giving it the thumbs up or five stars or whatever it is. That's huge. It's really cool. So um, as always, you can um, hit me at uh, blowout cards at the twenty seven guy or tweet me at the twenty seven guy. Um, if you have any questions or if there's anything you'd like for me to discuss here on the podcast or if there's any uh, constructive criticism you'd like to give, I really appreciate that. We're still a really small group in number. Um, I've tried to get back to most of you on your uh, questions, um, at least at least via PM or, uh, or email or Twitter or whatever. And so, yeah. Uh, Again, five stars really helps. If you want to tell a friend or whatever, that really helps. But uh, but thank you. It's it's been awesome. Um, I want I've I've got a lot of things I want to hit today. Um, I want to have do a quick recap on uh, the Michael Jordan stuff from last week. Talk about a few of the questions I had on that. Hit um, the Nationals real fast. Um, I want to talk about uh, the Gala rookies number to eight that I've had a couple of questions on. Um, and then today's episode actually is mostly going to be, we're going to switch gears at that point and go to um, the things that are wrong with the NBA and uh, what I think can be done to fix those things um, from a global from a global perspective. I think people often talk about the things that can be done to fix certain parts of the league, but they don't really um, have a good perspective on on how those fixes could hurt other things. So what you want to do is kind of evaluate which things are most important and try to figure out how to um, solve all of those problems uh, together without creating other more significant problems. And so I've thought about this actually for a really long time. I've read a lot about it, um, a lot of other people's ideas too. I've certainly borrowed from some of them, um, but I've kind of developed my own my own plan on if I was the commissioner or in charge in some way, how I would uh, attempt to construct the league and to change the league um, in order to create a more perfect league and um, kind of uh, resolve some of the real issues that are in the league right now. And so I want to talk about a lot of that stuff today. Um, But first, let's hit some of these other things. So as far as the Michael Jordan recap goes, I think there was some really interesting dialogue um, on blowout, you know, I, I, I hope I didn't come across as being um, ultra critical of uh, the the Jordan threads. Some of them are really, really good. Um, I am just critical whenever I can see I, what I what I would consider to be fairly uh, fairly obvious manipulation. And as detailed last week, I feel like that's very very easy to see at this point. Uh, for those of us who've seen manipulation enough, you a lot of times you can identify it fairly easily, and I, I think I think it's pretty clear. Um, if you if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I'd recommend you go back and do that. Um, so, um, I think the other thing that was that's been brought up though a ton is um, uh, has been the 
fakes and the, the counterfeits and some of that stuff that's going on with the Jordan 86 Fleer rookie. Uh, that's not as big of an issue when it comes to the sticker or the star, although at least with the star, I know there's a little bit of that going on as well. Um, not that I know of any that are graded, um, because fortunately I don't, um, PSA hasn't, or PSA doesn't grade uh, the star rookie, and so there's not as much of uh, that going on um, where people are faking the cases, but there's a lot of that going on with the FLIR rookie. And so um, what we're seeing if you haven't been made aware, if you if you're not somebody who follows the the threads on Blowout, um, I would I would recommend you do that. Uh, but what we're seeing is people are um, these fraudsters are coming up with ways to make the cases appear very real, um, very much like an authentic PSA case. In some cases, they're using authentic PSA flips. Uh, that's the um, white tag that's at the top of the holder that describes um, the card and gives it a serial number and a barcode and that type of thing. And in some cases, the back of the flip is authentic from previously broken out, uh, from a previously authentic, authentic, authenticated PSA card, and the front is is fake. So you'll have a, a, a real back and a fake front, um, there's some cases where both are real. There's some cases where um, the card in the holder is in fact real, but um, more like the quality of an eight uh, that's being bumped to a nine, or more like the quality of a nine that's being bumped to a ten. Um, these are all things that we've seen, and um, it's something else to kind of consider as you're looking at the Jordan rookie card. I've had a, a number of people kind of mention to me, you know. I've heard what you've said about, about the Jordan rookie card, and, and I can see why you see that it's manipulated, but it is still a card that I really want, and I want to know when to buy it, and I get that. I, I Like I said last week, I think it's a very important card, um, and I can see why if you're just getting back into the hobby, it would be one of those that you want to focus on, um, and so I get that. I think, um, I think you want to be really careful when buying it, and you want to do your research, I, I tend to think that right now isn't the best time to buy. I would wait uh, several months, year, couple of years. I just don't think it's going to maintain the value that it currently has right now. But I've been wrong before, and, and I could be wrong. I definitely could be wrong this time. I just personally think that the manipulation that's there has caused a market that isn't sustainable. And based on some of the other threads that I've seen, some of the other comments that I've seen about the Nationals, um, where there were hundreds of Jordan rookies um, that, you know, you've got people who have really hoarded them. And, and a lot of times what happens when somebody hoards them is they, they may do some, they may do so to an unhealthy level. They may spend more than they're capable of spending or uh, of, of, of leaving out there for too long. They may need to realize um, the value on those Jordans at some point, meaning they may need to cash out. And when that happens, sometimes an increase of supply can happen. And um, when there's an increase of supply, uh, obviously that can hurt the value very quickly, depending on how many people there are in the market for, for them. So if the market can't keep up with the supply that's then out there, uh, the price will drop. That's the law of economics. So um, that's what I think will happen. Keep waiting. Um, I just hit uh, a little bit of point number three, the Nationals. Um, I uh, 
I, I, from from the people who I've talked to, who uh, who attended the nationals, I was unable to go. But from those who I have talked to, um, it was uh, f- was similar to previous nationals. Uh, there wasn't a great basketball product released this year around nationals time, and so um, I think that's interesting. I wonder I wonder why that happened this year. I know in past years people have been very enthusiastic about opening uh, national treasures at the nationals or immaculate and for that to not be present this year makes you kind of wonder why why did that happen um but uh haven't heard anything super awesome about it at some point i would love to go to the nationals it's just it'd be nice again like i said last week las vegas it'd be, it'd be great if we could have it somewhere here out west one of these days but i looked at the calendar it looks like next year it's chicago and then I think it goes back to Atlantic City and then to Chicago again. So it's planned years in advance and seemingly never comes out west, which is unfortunate. But um, but uh, maybe one of these years I'll see you guys out there. Um, point number four, gala. Uh, uh, I've had a couple people ask me about gala recently. And um, it's uh, I, I, I get the criticism, guys. It's, it's not an autographed patch rookie card, right? I, I get that it's a new product. I get all of that. But from my perspective, where it's a rookie card, a true rookie card, number eight, there, there are eight rookies in the world for the last two years of each of those big name rookies, right? So Andrew Wiggins has eight gala rookie cards. I don't have one. I wish I did, but I don't have one. Um, I did own a Zach Levine gala rookie, and I really did sell it for over $1,700. It really was paid for. And then I really had other people asking me if it had actually been sold and wondering if they could buy it just in case the buyer didn't pay, and he did. So the product is, um, from my perspective, has been um, sought after by several people, including me. I tried to put together the first set. I failed miserably. There were 17 rookies in the 2014-15 set, and I think at my height, I had collected eight of them, but I, there are some of them that I've only seen one copy of. And if it goes on eBay and somebody snags it real quick and you don't get the chance, you just kind of throw your hands in the air and say, ah, shoot. So I did kind of give up on that set. Um, in 2015-16 set, however, there aren't just 17 rookies. They upped it to 30, which I think is I think is really good because uh, in 2014-15, there were certain rookies like very popular rookies, guys like, um, I think I noticed Joel Embiid wasn't in the set. Um, other guys uh, people really liked weren't in the set. Uh, this year, it seems like most of the big rookies are are, are in there. Um, the regular base set in 2014-15, other than the rookies, was numbered to 79. And this year it's numbered to 99, and there's a larger base set. Um, but the rookies are numbered to 8, and so... What, from my perspective, why it's cool, I think I think in this sort of... Com- there's there's always got to be a competitive advantage to a rookie card. Um, and one competitive advantage that a lot of people focus on is simply the brand recognition, right? They, they say, you know, what's the branding here? Has this been done before? Is it loved? Do people like this? Um, another one of them is, what's the biggest uh, RPA? What's the biggest piece of patch with the auto? Um... On, on a true rookie card from the base set. Another one is, um, I, I don't know if I mentioned already, but which one is the rarest, which is the truly rarest rookie card. And from my perspective, the things that really matter, um, uh, 
and we can look back historically, the things that matter most are uh, second, uh, the, the best uh, patch auto, and first, uh, which, which card is the most rare. So rarity and patch auto and branding and the look of the card, the design of the card, those are all extremely important things. But I think as we look back to 2014 and 2015, in five years from now, and there are several players inevitably from those classes that will be highly collectible, the most impossible card will be to get will be the rarest card. Um, I think, I think that in today's day and age, a rookie card numbered to 99 isn't so um, awesome to chase because there's that's like it's it's an easy thing to find. Even a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, you you can go find him right now, right? But but you know when you look out there and you say, okay, in four or five years, I want to go find that guy's Gala rookie. I don't think you'll be able to. I think it'll be next impossible. I think it's next impossible right now. I have never had a chance to buy a Dante Exum Gala rookie in over a year. And um, I was frustrated when I looked at the completed listings and I saw that one of them had ended because I, I missed out on it. Um, imagine where we'll be in four or five years from now. Uh, I think also the thing that Panini's done, which again I think is is good business sense. I don't love it, but it's good business sense. Is that they've created a product that isn't actually being busted super rapidly, and they're fine with that. I think because in two, three, four years, when one of these players t- takes off, when there's another Steph Curry situation, and that Steph Curry type player has a true rookie card numbered to eight. It's in sealed cases. Suddenly, these cases that have been sitting there for a long time in where in whatever warehouse, they need to get busted, right? People are going to want to find them, and at some point, they're going to be willing to pay a price um, to to open that case. I wish the rest of the product wasn't like it is. There's nothing from the product that I really love. There are a couple sets that some people are into. There's nothing that I'm into other than the rookies. But um, you know, that's that's kind of. That's kind of what I believe about it. It's the rarest. I think people will make fun of it. Obviously, people, a lot of people have on the boards. I think that's fine. Um, like I said, Zach Levine for over $1,700. Um, and the cards that I want, I can't get. And so um, if you have any of those, <laughs> you want to contact me and let me buy them from you, I'm, I'm here. So... Uh, willing to make an offer on any of the rookies, but um, most of them, mo- mostly just looking for some some of the names. The only one that I have left from 2014-15 that I really will for sure keep for the, uh, for well, I shouldn't say for sure for the long term because you never know if we trade the guy, but I, I do have a Rodney Hood, uh, which I feel pretty good about. Anyway, let's move on. Um, okay, so we've hit the Jordan recap, the Nationals gala. All right main topic for today. I'm excited for this and uh, definitely switching gears here. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're usually listening to it because you are a sports card fan. You're a basketball card fan. And I am too, obviously. That's why we have the podcast. But today we're going to talk more uh, just about the NBA uh, on something that doesn't really affect sports cards a whole lot, maybe a little bit. But for the most part, this is about basketball. Uh, I've been a basketball fan my entire life. I am a, um, a numbers geek galore. I look at all of the advanced stats. I look at, um, you know, I've created my own stats. I um, have been into this stuff since probabilities and um, 
and the lottery and stuff literally since the early 90s when I was just old enough to be able to divide and multiply and all that stuff. I love this stuff and I've always been into it. And I've always kind of had my own opinion and kind of marched to my own drum a little bit in terms of how I value things and how I look at the league. And, and I've been wrong probably way more than I've been right. But um, I've, uh, I've always had my own opinion on these things. And um, I kind of have developed through basically through the years and considering how the, how the league should be ran and what's wrong with it, I've kind of developed my own opinion on how to fix the NBA. And I've thought about doing a white paper or doing almost like a book on it um, with all of the data behind it. But at this stage in my life, I just don't really have the time for that. So what I did today is I took about a half an hour and I really outlined what I think is wrong with the league and what how it needs to be fixed. I hope you guys like it. hope hope it um, is meaningful to you. Um, again, if you like it, please share it with other people. And uh, like I said, I'm going to keep this podcast going as long as I can. But um, but uh, yeah, so here's here's my plan. Here's here's what I'm thinking. So how to fix the NBA. First, I want to talk about some of the things that are wrong with the league and then talk about the solution and then talk about the plan. So what's wrong with the league? The first thing that I want to mention is conference imbalance. And if you are a member of Block Cards and you're on the basketball forums, you've probably heard me mention this in the past. I just think it's a huge problem, right? And it's probably, probably have have a slightly slanted view on it based on the fact that I am a, a fan of a Western Conference team, the Utah Jazz. Um, the West has beaten the East head to head in 16 of the last 17 seasons. Now, let me define that. What I mean head to head is in regular season matchups between the West and the East. The West has won 16 of the last 17 seasons. Think about that for a second. That's not something that happens randomly. You don't flip a coin and get 16 out of 17. There has been a a real strength in the West when compared to the East for the better part of 20 seasons. And people say, oh, before that it was always the East. It wasn't always the East. It wasn't. It was never this bad. There, there isn't. There aren't. Sh- there, in the course of a ten, ten years, you should have set between five and seven wins for each conference, right? Or between three and seven, I should say. Um, it's okay if it's not exactly five five every ten years, but sixteen out of seventeen is a huge problem. Okay. What's more is that during, um, of during the last seven. This this is a kind of a crazy stat. During the last eleven NBA seasons, the ninth placed Western Conference team, the team that just missed the playoffs, has beaten the eighth placed Eastern Conference team by over an average of two games over the last eleven seasons. But that's actually worse than it sounds. Right, even though the Western Conference team has a better record than the Eastern Conference team, and they're missing out the play on the playoffs, and that already sounds terrible enough, it's worse than it sounds because the schedules are slanted so that the Eastern Conference teams are playing other Eastern Conference teams 52 times compared to only playing the West 30 times. And if the East is worse than the West, 16 out of 17 seasons, the thing that you have to remember is that when the Eastern Conference teams face each other somebody has to win and so the these 52 um, games uh, against Eastern Conference teams you're going to have 52 winners in those 52 games so um, 
so that's that's my first part conference imbalance okay let's move on from that i could talk all day about that i'm pretty passionate about that but let's keep going second bigger big base problem in the league i shouldn't say second biggest the next problem that i see is significant is tanking so you look at the last three seasons for the sixers and you ask the question like really seriously like but the thing that you have to understand is it made sense for them to tank right it it really did it made a lot of sense for them to say we're throwing away these games we believe that the way that we can get good is by having a superstar and so we're going to swing for the fences year after year after year until we hit and it looks like this year they finally hit right after they file fire their gm um i digress um it made sense for them to do what they have done um and in my humble opinion i feel very strongly about this you can't ever have an incentive to lose if you have an incentive to lose you should try to lose um, you can't just say, well, it's in the spirit of competition for you to win. No, but they're trying to win. They're trying to win it all is the thing. And sometimes in a war, you lose a battle so you can win a war. That's just how life is, right? You cannot expect them to go against human nature to try to win in the end by losing in the beginning. There's nothing, I, I just don't see anything wrong with that. Um, I don't see anything wrong with what the Sixers have done. Um, but I think that there's something wrong with the system, and, and I think that that needs to be fixed. So you can't just say, hey, I know it's in your best interest to lose, but will you just win for the betterment of the sport? Is that cool? Um, yeah, I'm reminded of a situation, I think it's probably been about eight, maybe ten years ago now, between the Grizzlies and the Clippers, where toward the end of the season, um, they were each fighting for positioning in the Western Conference. And back then it was different because the three division winners in each conference got the one, two, and three spot. And that year Denver was winning the Northwest Division, but they weren't nearly as good as the second place div uh, team um, in the San Antonio-Dallas Division. And San Antonio-Dallas were the two best teams, I think actually in the league, but definitely in the Western Conference. And one of them, whichever one of them lost the division, was going to be moved to fourth in the Western Conference because the three division winners were going to get home court advantage, right? And this rule has been changed, but I digress. Let's let's keep going. So what happens is, the or what happened was, you had um, the Clippers and the Grizzlies at the end of the season, I believe it was those two teams, that were going to play each other on one of the last games of the season. And whichever team lost would fall to the number six spot, and whichever team won could move to the five spot. Well, the five spot would have to play Dallas or San Antonio, whichever of those two teams didn't win the division. But they would still have... Oh, and uh, yes, the team that, that played San Antonio... Um, would would obviously wouldn't have home court advantage over them because not only were they the lower seed but they had the worst record. The team that lost out of the Clippers and the Grizzlies would move to sixth, and not only would they move to sixth and face an easier opponent in Denver, but because their their um, record was actually going to be better than Denver's because the Northwest Division's record was so poor that year, they would they would actually have home court advantage over the Nuggets, right? So. There was literally no reason to try to win this game. You had every incentive in the world to lose because if you lose, not only do you go from almost certainly losing the 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 um, 
the first round, but to winning the first round, almost certainly winning the first round and having home court advantage in the first round and then having a second round. I mean, huge monetary gains by, um, by potentially losing this game. And I always thought when they went, when they threw the ball in the air in that game to tip it off, the best thing that could have happened would have would have been if both teams acknowledged it and they literally tried to score on each other's hoops. They they literally turned around and said, "I'm going to try to go score on the wrong hoop." It would have been amazing for a lot of reasons. I think one reason is there's an eight second violation rule, right? And <laughs> so you you'd have to you'd have to score before eight seconds was up otherwise you'd be called for eight seconds because you're scoring on the wrong end uh another part of that would be if you made the shot it would be your ball right because you'd be scoring for the other team uh it would have been incredible it would have been really a fascinating game to watch i also think you know if the other team would have rebounded and then tried to score on the other court they'd have to shoot it before they got to half court or they'd be called for a half court violation there's all this there's all this stuff to that that would have been really interesting and Obviously, I didn't ever expect that to happen, but it would have made a lot more sense to me to see something like that than to have two teams pretend like they're trying, because that does nobody any good when two teams are pretending. We're also—I think most of us in, who, who who really watch and care about the game at this point get it. We get when teams don't care. We get when teams are tanking. When the Warriors tanked a few years ago so that they wouldn't lose their pick to the Jazz, and they ended up get, getting Harrison Barnes. That was like, it was an abomination. They won two of their last 20-something games. And it's just, it's not, it's not good for the fans. It's not good for the game. Needs to be fixed. So tanking's an issue. Number three, watering down regular season with a lot of games that don't matter. A lot of times we have uh, games toward, you know, I don't know, even 30, 40 games in the season where a team knows they can't make the playoffs. And then the question is, why are we playing? You can imagine how disheartening that is for the players. Think about how it is for you and your job. If you knew that every day you came to work, you had actually no ability to make your company profitable or make anything positive really come from your company, that would be a hard thing to do, right? Um, you'd still be playing, you know, working for your own money, and I get that, but, but these guys, they want to win, and they want to work towards something special. And so um, the fact that a large portion of NBA games don't matter today, I think, is another problem. And the fifth problem, or the fifth, fifth thing is, um, obviously, there's a lot of inter- injuries, especially playoff time. There are injuries every year. We've seen an increase. Uh, you know, the Clippers last year just got destroyed. The Thunder several years in a row got destroyed. Um, it happens year after year towards the playoffs because these guys take such a toll during the regular season. And so... You know, all of those five things you can say, well, we could do we, we could fix it with this or we could fix it with that. Um, we could fix the injuries by limiting games. But then you prevent the company, you prevent the NBA from being as profitable as it can be. And nobody wants to take a pay cut so that the guys won't get hurt. So there are all these problems. So my solution aims to first make sure that the best teams have a chance at the end of the year. If a player goes down halfway through the season, or early in the season, and he misses 40 games, and his team really suffers, but then they come on strong the second half of the season, and they finish ninth in their conference because they're in a tough conference. I don't think that guy should be immediately eliminated from the playoffs. I think it's wrong, or that team should be. I think that's wrong, and I think it's unfair to the, unfair to the fans. And I think we live in a progressive enough day where we can look at the system and we can say, that doesn't make sense, that should be fixed. 
Um, the solution aims to allow um, regular season games to all have an in to have an increase in importance, while never ever incentivizing a team to lose. Okay, games still matter at the end of the season for some teams because they're incentivized to lose. Right? You could be a team looking at you, or you could be a fan of a team that's in the lottery, and you may think toward the end of the season, "Oh, I hope they lose tonight." That shouldn't ever be the case. You should always be looking at your team, hoping for um, them to have an incentive to uh, to win. Um, I think the solution also aims to create an increase in profitability and uh, an increase in revenue. Um, at the end of the day, that can't be decreased. We can always make up ideas that will make the game better, but it can't ever take money away from it because the agents and the owners and the players all want to make more money. And then lastly, we want to minimize injury, um, especially just before the playoffs. So that's the those are the problems those are the those are the things that I want to that I want to solve and here's the plan here's how to do it so first part of the plan is to revise the playoff format I feel so strongly about this my my plan is to um, revise the playoff for format so that six teams from each conference are guaranteed a spot in the playoffs and the last four spots of the playoffs, so the first 12 are guaranteed, the last four are, are flex spots and are determined at the end of the season in a tournament of sorts. This allows for an identical 82-game season so that no change needs to be made. All ideas about, well, we should just take the best 16 teams in the league, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. Because right now you have two conferences and you have... Uh, you have conferences, one conference plays, uh, I guess each conference plays uh, their own teams 52 games and then plays the other conference 30 games. Well, you have totally incomparable incom records at that point. You can't take the 16 best teams because you don't know who they are. And you can't tell me that, that that's not the case because in 16 of the last 17 seasons, the West has been better than the East. And so... Again, the ninth best team in the West, who's had a better record than the eighth best team in the East, is even better than the record uh, discrepancy indicates because there's those 52 slap fights in the East that are happening every year. So, um, uh, I digress. I think you need to look at that and say, okay, you can't just do the be best 16 teams, You, but in, in this format, you... Um, you ensure that six teams from each conference do make it into the playoffs. Um, now, then the question is, well, what if what if 15 of the best 16 teams in the, are, are in the same conference? That is possible, but I don't think that it does the country well to have one half of the um, one half of the end of the country not participating in the playoffs. You need some involvement, and you don't want uh, you you don't want it to ever be to where one half is so much better than the other that that they just don't get any exposure. I don't think the NBA wants that, obviously, and I don't think that's good for money. And so you need to have you need to have that exposure. So yes, that allows um, an identical 82 game season, the same conferences in the same division. Okay, so the last four spots are flex spots. So how is that determined? Well, that's de determined in a um, in a tournament, a 14-team tournament, okay? So, again, do the math. 12 best teams in the league, 
or six best teams from each conference, I should say, not 12 best, but six best teams from each conference are in, period. The next 14 teams, regardless of record, okay, the next 14 best teams are entered into a tournament for the final four spots. And here's how the math works on that. The two best teams, the one and the two of the 14 seeds, has a bye in the first round of the tournament. And the next 12 teams play each other in a tournament. After that first game, that leaves six winners from the 12 teams. And then the two original, okay, that had a bye, that leaves eight teams total. And the four winners of those four games would be the four teams that would make the playoffs. But that's not all. There is more to this, okay? I would allow the number one and number two team to rest, as I mentioned. Then I would allow the number three team to choose their opponent, okay? So there's 14 teams. They can't choose one or two because one and two have a bye. But the number three team can choose the number 14 team. They can choose the number four team or the number five team. Whoever they feel they have the best competitive advantage against, they can choose that. And then the next best team remaining, presumably the number four ranked team, would then choose their opponent, the number five. And again, these are the, the rankings out of the 14 teams in this tournament. So it doesn't include the best six from each conference. It's just the next 14. Okay, so presumably you would end up with a three team playing like the 14 or the 13 or something like that, and then the four team playing another one lower. But each team would get to um, choose, and again, I think this is, I'll get to this more in a sec, but I think that would um, create additional value based on each game in the regular season because each game you win gives you um, a better record than the team ahead of you or the, the team behind you, and if you are um, ahead of another team, then you get the first choice of who you play. And that may make the difference. Um, in, this, in this format of this tournament, even the, worst, even the worst team that makes the tournament only has to win two games to then make it into the playoffs. And those top two seeds only have to, make, only have to win one game to make it into the playoffs. Okay, so um, mentioned that one and two get to choose their oh then you get to the next round okay of the so you take the six winners and the two the, the one and the two seed well the one and the two seed then also get to choose their opponent in that next series so they look at the winners of the other games and they say i want to play that that team the thing that's interesting about this is i think it would create one of the things that's interesting is i think it would create a um an incentive for teams to not um, release injury information on their players or maybe even fake information or in injury information on their players to get teams to pick them, if that makes sense. Um, there would be a lot of gameplay, a, uh, a lot of other interesting like sort of things that, um, that teams could try to work out to get to play against each other. But, but that's all, that would all be known going in. There would be no way to rig the system because the system would be determined be determined by the teams. I think it's likely that teams wouldn't want to choose their own um, matchups uh, based on a lot of reasons, but um, I think uh, I think that a, a, a different way to do this would be to say uh, give each team that's the highest in pecking order the chance to choose their opponent, and then it, they or the chance to say at this point it's cut off and each team just plays who's in their order. Um, I don't know how teams would react to that. 
I think it'd be really interesting. Okay, so we've covered the tournament. Um, I think another interesting point on this is, um, um, sorry, I want to make sure that I'm not missing anything here. So, um, whoever wins those, whoever, whichever four teams of that, or who win that tournament that comes before the playoffs, which conveniently allows those other 12 teams to be resting, right, which is what they need right before the playoffs, rather than just jumping into the season, gives them, gives them a sec to rest, and creates basically game sevens, right, game sevens all around for a couple of games, single elimination, what we'd love more than anything else we would have for a couple of games, a couple of nights uh, between the regular season and then the beginning of the actual postseason. So four teams win that little mini tournament, and they get inserted into the pool of playoff teams. So you've got the six Western Conference teams, the six Eastern Conference teams, and then the four other teams. And the way that I would set it up is that the team with the best regular season record, let's say it was the Cavs in the East, they would get to choose anyone that they wanted to play in the first round in the Eastern Conference or from that group of four that that uh, just won that that moved on from the from the tournament and so they would have their choice of 11 opponents right this or sorry I did that math wrong that of nine opponents the the five other Eastern Conference teams or the four other teams uh, that won that won that tournament and so they may look at it and say you know what we have a real advantage against this eight ranked team from the west who last year would have been the houston rockets let's let's play them in the first round but then they'd have to measure the increased travel time that it was to get to texas uh between between you know either going to houston or going wherever they could have gone in the eastern conference um and then the next best team let's say it was the warriors it last year actually the warriors would have been the first obviously but let's say it was the Warriors, then the Warriors may say, hey, I want to choose this Eastern Conference team or whatever. What this would allow is you could potentially have those final four teams that get in all be from the same conference. And I think this is important because, uh, again, 17, 16 of 17 or 17 of 18 of the last, 16 of 17, I apologize, for, of the last, 16 of the last 17 years, you have the West being the dominant conference. And it would be wonderful if, if of the of the that tournament that 14 team tournament if four of those 14 teams the four that moved on were all from the west because it would give 10 teams 10 of the 16 playoff teams um would be from the west and and sometimes that's how it should be sometimes it should be flipped and if it's going to be 10 eastern conference teams too that's fine but where you have teams year after year that are better at the bottom of the West, that should be in over the East. I think I think this I think this helps remedy that. And so, again, if the winners are all Western Conference teams, you get ten Western Conference teams and six Eastern Conference teams. And as they choose their opponents, one thing that might happen is you might get to the end of the first round, and you might only have say three Eastern Conference teams that move on, right? I think um, 
I think the only way you could get less than that is if one of the very top Eastern Conference teams picked a Western Conference team and then lost to them. Um, and then you would, I think you would still have to have, boy, I think you'd still have to have a couple of Eastern Conference teams. Um, I'm not sure how the math works on that, but you would have some Eastern Conference teams that would still move on to the second round no matter what. And so going into the second round, you'd always have, um, you know, you'd always have some West and some East. Well, then what would happen would be um, the the going into the second round, uh, the team with the best rec- regular season record wouldn't get to just choose anybody in their conference and the bottom four. I think at that point you open it up to anybody. The team in the West or the, 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 or the team with the best record would get to choose any other team that they wanted to play against. And so theoretically, if the four best teams in the league were all from the same conference, you could have four teams from the same conference in the conference finals. And I think, again, I think that's the way that it should be. Um, there's nothing wrong with taking the four best teams. Uh, you know, year after year, we see the very best teams from the West really beating each other up to get to the the LeBrons of the East. And, you know, nothing against the Toronto Raptors, but they weren't the sort of opponent for the Cavs that the Thunder were for the Warriors. And some people say, well, it's good to face good competition before the finals. This is just total baloney. It doesn't make any sense. You want to be rested going into the finals. The NBA season is a grind. It is 82 games. It's on the road constantly. It is constant injuries, and that's I mean that's why people get injured is because it's a grind. And to to face the most difficult teams, even though for the Warriors last year they won 73 games, and then they're playing the Thunder in the conference finals. The Thunder it beat the Spurs, who won 67 or 68 games. I mean it's just unbelievable, right? Like. It's so much more of a difficult road for some teams than it is for others. And if you win more games during the regular season, you should have the ability to work your way out of that. That's what comes from giving the teams the choice of, of, of who they play. Um, okay, so going back to this, to my outline, I keep getting distracted and going off. Um, so, yeah, you moved around two, same thing. They get to choose their, their opponent and went through all of that. Round three, same, and then, you know, obviously the finals are the finals, two, two best remaining teams. Okay, so the best teams get to choose their opponents, gives them the home, co- oh, oh, so, sorry, the best team, um, the best team, or the best uh, regular season team gets to not only choose their opponent, but they also get home court advantage, obviously, and they get to decide the format of the series, and based on... Um, I, I kind of think of the idea of maybe they even get to determine the length of the series in regard to how many games are between or how many days are in between each game. I'm not sure about that last piece because I think they want to maximize the amount of money they make, and so they try to they try to have as many Saturday and Sunday games as they can. Um, but you, but the plan, but this plan, um, I'm saying I think it would be a really great thing to give them additional benefits more than just home court advantage and even more than the ability to choose their opponent to choose the format and uh, like I said two two one 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 or two three two 
um, or if there's another format or other links to the to the series, you give all of that as a choice for the for the team, the home court team. And again, you let them choose their opponent basically up until the finals. And then at the finals, there's only two teams that are left. Um, <clears throat> I think this gives uh, increased value to every single regular season game um, for 26 of the 30 NBA teams. Because even if you're sitting at 27th or 28th with a few weeks to go and you can get up into that tournament of that last 14 of those last, um, I shouldn't say the last, of the 13 to 27th or 26th NBA teams, you can still get into the playoffs. You can still have an increase in revenue. And since the games are single elimination, the gate revenue and the TV revenue that's created based on those single elimination games needs to be split. Uh, at least the gate revenue would be harder to do with the TV revenue. But that would need to be split between the two teams, not just go to the home team. Um, although maybe the majority of it would go go to the home team. Um, that would also leave four teams at the end of the at the end of the league who who just look terrible. Um, it would be really embarrassing to be one of those last four teams to know that you weren't playing even in the the, the tournament. It's almost like relegation in the Premiership in uh, Euro soccer or football as they call it over there. Um, and I think, you know, that's embarrassing. They would be labeled as losers. Um, but, uh, but I think that's the, way that, that's the way that you do it is you make it embarrassing for them. Um, the other thing that I think you do is um, the, the NBA voted on something similar to this in 2014. They voted to on whether they should kind of smooth out the percentages of the lottery based on how bad a team is. Under, under the current system, uh, the worst team in the league has a 25% chance of winning the lottery, and um, the second team has an almost 20% chance of winning the lottery, and the third team, uh, like 16. And so it's the, the, first, the first three teams have a 61% chance of landing the first overall pick. One of those three teams, 61% of the time, is going to get the number one overall pick. The next three teams have um, about a 28% chance of getting the number one overall pick. So one through six accounts for almost 90% of the opportunities to get the number one overall pick. And then seven through 14, the whole more than second half of the lottery has less than a 10% chance. Of getting, or right around a ten percent chance of getting the number one overall pick, and so it's very um, right now. It's very lopsided. It's not smooth at all. And they voted in two thousand fourteen to make it so the top four picks or the t the worst four records all have identical chances. And I think that's an interesting. I th I, th I think that was interesting. The Thunder uh, were one of the teams that actually voted against this. It was expected to pass. Uh, but uh, by one or two teams didn't pass. And I think the reason for that is the small market teams want to make sure that they always have a way to get a star. And um, being the worst team in the league ensures you a one in four chance of getting the number one overall pick. And uh, smoothing it to less than that is something that's not desirable for the team that 
is the worst team in the league or a team that is willing to tank for a year to be the, the worst uh, overall team. So I would um, I would smooth it, but um, in a way that is different perhaps than how it was proposed. I would smooth it so that the worst team in the league, instead of having a 25% chance, has something like a 20 or an 18% chance. The second worst team, instead of having 19, has a 14 or 15. I would bump it down, and then I think I think the last the last eight teams in the lottery should each have have like a legit shot of getting the number one overall pick. Nothing crazy, um, but if you don't, if you're not one of so I would expand the lottery first off instead of it being 14 teams. I would expand it to being 18 teams because I would take all the teams that weren't in the, that weren't in the top six of their conference who automatically qualified for the playoffs. I take everyone else and throw them into the pot. And instead of just pulling three teams out and then ordering the rest of them, um, let me back up because some of you probably don't have, uh, don't probably know this. The lottery is not a real lottery. The lottery is a um, system that picks three individual teams. After those three teams are picked, the, uh, the rest of the teams, based on record in descending order, that are in the lottery, are then ordered, and that's your lottery. So if the NBA pulls the three teams out and it's, the third worst team, the sixth worst team, and the third worst, the fourth worst, and the fifth worst team, then the lottery, then the picks will go third, fourth, fifth, and then it'll come back to first, second, and then sixth. Okay, so um, that's why the worst team in the league can't ever get worse than the fourth overall pick. That's the very worst that they can get. I think it should be worse. I think that the, the worst team in the league shouldn't just be guaranteed a top four pick. I'd like to see it bump back to sixth, meaning that I'd like five teams to be picked. I'd like to see there be a little bit of smoothing, nothing dramatic. Um, and I'd like to see teams... I mean, you could have a team that could actually end up making the playoffs that could also win the lottery. You could have a team that finished, you know, that finished 10th worst in the league, finished 20th overall, but won a couple of games to get into the playoffs, but were still inserted into the lottery. Uh, and I think that's great. I think, you know, hey, you, you're rewarded for, um, for your efforts in the, uh, during the regular season and then into the, play, into the, the tournament, and then also you're rewarded with this good pick because you weren't good enough during the regular season, so here's your chance. Um, it becomes a lot more random, in that way, uh, teams can't tank in the same way, and they're taken away, and they don't have the incentive to tank in the same way because they're losing out on automatic revenues that they would be receiving by being entered into the tournament, which we'd have to give a name, but the tournament between the end of the regular season and the actual playoffs. So I think if you do that, if you implement all of those things, you create value in every single NBA game because... At the very least, if you're in that tournament situation, you can uh, still affect the order of it, and you can affect you know, which team you might be able to play and may create a path for yourself to actually get into the playoffs. Um, even for a team like, look at a team like the Sacramento Kings last year. 
They knew 40 games in the season, there's no way they were making the playoffs. But they still had, they still would have had the opportunity and the um, incentive to play hard. Um, so I think if you do the, again, trying to get back to it, if, if you implement all these things, you create value in every game. I don't think you lose revenue um, by creating this this um, this tournament in between the regular season and the playoffs. I think you remove a couple of games from the preseason, which quietly the NBA has done this year. It's usually eight, and I believe it's only six games this year in in the in the preseason. Um, I I could be wrong about that. I, I think I, I I heard that somewhere, but I haven't verified that myself. I, I should should have checked on that before I before I mentioned it. So you remove a couple of preseason games at the beginning. You um, give an extra four days between the re- regular season and the playoffs for this tournament. Maybe even five days. Which obviously would create a huge amount of extra revenue uh, based on the sort of seventh game feeling of all of those, of all of those games. I think you prevent injuries in doing that. Um, you you create potentially ten uh, slots for a single conference in the playoffs, allowing the very best teams to make it in the playoffs. You eliminate the conference imbalance potentially, and again, if that shifts at some point back to the Eastern Conference, then it would benefit them too. Um, not just saying this just because I'm a fan of a Western Conference team. Um, again, I think you increase profitability and revenue. You um, you allow all regular season games to have meaning. I just think I think these changes are, are, are more fun. They are more exciting for the fans. They're more profitable for everyone, um, except for maybe that 7th and 8th team in the Eastern Conference that's used to making the playoffs as being a terrible team. That's the those are the two teams that may not may not love this, but I think everybody else involved, this is a great system for them, and I think it would be so exciting for fans. Can, I mean, can you imagine your team has the chance to choose who they want to play, to have that day come out where people say, "I want to play so and so next." That would be awesome. Would love that. All right. That's my idea. Those are my plans. That's what I think that the NBA should do. I know that took uh, longer than it should have. <laughs> I'm just looking at the time. It took way longer than it should have. But I really think that would be a great way to fix the league, make it better. I wonder what you guys think about it. Tell me if I'm crazy. Tell me what you think. Again, I've, I've put an awful lot of thought into it. I, I let it drag on way too long. But, um, but there's a lot of meat there. There's a lot of things there that I think they could do. Uh, if you have any questions, hit me up. If you um, if you want uh, to give any sort of constructive feedback on the podcast, please hit me at the Twenty Seven Guy. Follow me there. Let me know if you have any questions. Uh, I will look forward to seeing you guys again uh, next week. Until then, happy collecting. Thank you.